and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Today, we have one of my favorite guests, Mark Stiving, occasional Let's see, I would say frequent guest, occasional co-host, and every once in a while you try and steal my job as host. Uh, he is a pricing expert, a pragmatic marketing instructor, and he is a Reno resident. Hello, Mark. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? Good, good. So I bet a lot of our listeners have never been to Reno. Give us, give us the highlights of Reno. So Reno has a lot of awesome highlights, a really low cost of living, no state income taxes, we have 300 days of sunshine a year here, tons of outdoor activities, 30 minutes away from Lake Tahoe. Um, I live up on top of a mountain with beautiful views, and it's just, it's a lovely, lovely place. You sounded like a great brochure. So if this doesn't work out, you can be a Reno tour guide. So that- <laughs> There we go. I'm looking for a new job. <laughs> All right. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that I know a bunch of our audience struggles with, right? We are product managers, we are product marketing managers, and despite what the title might say, manager, uh, we don't actually tend to manage people, right? And we, and we don't have authority over people, and yet we are charged with making, you know, products and marketing campaigns come to life, and that can be a difficult balance. Absolutely. We're gonna talk about leading without authority, Mark. Tell me a little bit about what you think that means and maybe an example of when you've had to do that. I think your introduction was pretty much spot on. Um, I had to do this when I was a director of pricing. And one of the things that's really interesting about running pricing at any big company is once again, you have no authority. You don't get to set prices. You don't really get to tell other departments what to do. And if you want to make a change, you're really looking for consensus and permission and buy-in. So you're truly leading, but you don't have any authority whatsoever because you can't tell anybody what to do. And, and, and product managers are in the exact same boat because product managers have to work so closely with marketing people, with the, um, the product development team, the sales team. They don't get to tell anybody what to go do but they need to influence them. They need to get people moving in the same direction. In my world, boy, I had a situation where, I'll tell you a failure story and I'll follow that up with a success story if I may. Absolutely. Failure story, I had taken a job as director of pricing at National Semiconductor and at National Semiconductor, I, I we needed a new way to do quotes and pricing and we needed to buy this new pricing system. And no matter what, I could not succeed at this. I, I tried, I tried, I tried, and I just kept failing. And shortly before National, it was probably a year before National got bought by Texas Instruments, um, I got a new boss. His name was Jeff. And Jeff was phenomenal for me in my career because I got to watch Jeff work. And he, what he would do is he would go around to everybody in the company and sit and talk to them. He would just have conversations about what's your job and what's important and how do you do that? And, and, and it was an amazing experience. He would spend, we would probably spend two or three hours a week just talking about how to do that job and what's happening. He was the best mentor I've ever had. 
fast forward and I end up, uh, when Texas Instruments bought National, I ended up leaving and I went to work for another company called Maxim as director of pricing there. Really similar situation in that they needed a new pricing system, a new quoting system, some software to manage the way we do pricing. Luckily, I'd already had success there in implementing something we called value-based pricing, uh, but it was what we teach as the value ratio. I had had success as implementing that. And then I went on to say, how do I get the change to happen this time? And I took the lessons from Jeff, which were just incredible. And that was, I went out and I talked to everybody. I was just having conversations and it wasn't me trying to convince anybody of what we need. Mm -hmm. It was me understanding everybody's issues, what their goals are, what problems they had around pricing, because eventually when it's time to pitch it, when it's time to talk about it, then we have to put it in each person's perspective and talk to them about it in their way. Hugely, hugely different outcome. And it's interesting that that one of the things there, the lesson there seems to be that uh, one of the ways to lead without authority is to really be intimate, have an intimate understanding of of everyone else's roles, right? It's a little bit like we talk about with personas. And if you understand who you are in essence, pitching to, then you can put it in context of their role and in their needs that might make it easier for them to buy in. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And as you know, I'm a little bit personality challenged. <laughs> I've never noticed, Mark. So none of this comes easy to me. And uh, probably what I would take as the big takeaway from that is I actually had to care. And and you can laugh at me. That's okay. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> But before, I would be listening to someone thinking, how can I convince them to do things my way? Mm -hmm. And the attitude shift in this new endeavor was, when I go have a conversation with you, I truly want to understand your issues because I truly want to make your job, your life better. And is there something I can do to help out with you know, in, going in the direction I want to go, but I truly care about not hurting you, not forcing you to do something that's not going to be good for you or or, or helpful for you. So it's it's really caring. Your kindergarten teacher would be very proud. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, but I, I think um, I think that is really important. And I think when we're experts in an area, as you are in pricing, it's two things that can trip us up in this area. One, it's kind of like, well, I'm the expert. Why aren't you all listening? Right. It, it sounds super conceited based. And there's a little bit of that, but you're also like, no, seriously, I, I've studied this a lot. And I know the answer is why. I also think sometimes when we're an expert in this space on a topic, it is sometimes harder for us to break down the reasoning. It's so inherently clear to us what the answer is, right? The sky is blue. I don't, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about why it is and having to explain it to someone else that, that when we know something so intimately, breaking down what it was that made us believe this, what, how we learn this and remembering all that can be very difficult. Well, that's absolutely true. And so here's another lesson that we'll take out of this whole, we go around and talk to everybody conversation is sometimes somebody says something that is different than what I believe. And so how do you handle that? Do I try to convince them otherwise? What, what, what's the scoop? And what I learned to do was keep digging for why they believe what they believe. Someplace there's a base assumption that they have that's different than I have. And that base assumption is what I need to address eventually. I'm never going to address it in that first meeting. In that first meeting or that conversation, it's about building a relationship. It's about letting them know I understand. It's about me understanding the way I think. But it's not about convincing or influencing 
in those early early relationships or early meetings. So really in in the as you might call it in shorthand dealing with objections isn't about sort of an overt fighting through. It's digging down further and further and further to understand what that base is. Yeah, in fact, let's tie it back to what pragmatic marketing teaches. We teach about going out and finding a problem, and that problem that someone tells you they have isn't really the problem. right? We're going to do the five whys. We're going to dig deeper. We're going to understand what the real problem is. And so it's a really similar concept where what we want to do is when you disagree with me, it's because you have some belief that's different than mine, but it's not the one you just said. There's something else that's much deeper. And that's what we have to go find. And I also think that your point that it's listen first, you know, come back later and, and some other time we can try and change opinions or whatever, if that makes sense. But that shouldn't be top of mind. You're listening. You are doing a Nihito. In this case, something important is happening in the office. And that's that you're understanding uh, your peers and what drives them. Absolutely. And I think one of the main reasons you want to do that is you don't want to walk in pretending that you have the answers. You really want to walk in pretending that you're searching for the answers. And in order to get there, you have to listen to everybody. What are their problems? What are their ideas? Let's see what we can learn before we have to go pitch a solution or say, here's what we think the right solution is. One of the things I also think is interesting um, that I kind of gleaned from this example is that you're meeting with people individually. You're not doing this in a group setting. Absolutely. This is huge. We're, we're going to fast forward to the end of this decision that is happening. And I have to say that you, you absolutely want to talk to everybody one-on-one -on -one before you have the decision made because you want to know what the decision is going to be before the big meeting happens. And I was in a position where, uh, as I was trying to sell this new pricing system, I had convinced, let's say, 90% of the company that we needed to go in this direction. I hadn't had a chance to sit with the CEO and talk to him about it. The CFO didn't agree with me. The CFO wanted to do something different. And the CFO called the big meeting. And the big meeting had a room full of people that were people that I'd most of them I'd convinced, but the CFO was there and the CEO was there. And I was there to get crushed. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and that was, this was really painful because now once the CEO makes his proclamation, the decision's done. And that was the that was just the worst place to be in. Luckily, I he made the decision in our favor. But it was it was a horrible situation. I, I really needed to have a conversation with that CEO one on one first. So did you get squashed? No, I did not. We so, so the outcome of that meeting, my favorite line in the entire meeting was the CEO at one point in time said the decisions made were going Mark's way. And I was just inside. I was screaming. <laughs> 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 but I can tell you that it was nerve wracking because it hadn't been wired. You really, those one-on-one -on -one conversations are huge. Well, even though you'd had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the CFO, right? Oh, absolutely. So even Man. though your charm hadn't won him over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was there sarcasm in no, that? No, <laughs> no. Um, at least he also knew, right? So even if I disagree with you, but if I've had the conversation ahead of time, I get less emotionally frustrated because I've processed some of this, right? So even in the, in the, those who you don't convince, 
it gives them a different frame of reference. And then their replies are often better as well because, again, it's based on some time and thought process and not an emotional, wait, no, I don't like that. So the next part of the story is after we get the, we get the decision that says we're going to buy this new pricing system, now we have to implement it. This is a six-month to a year process implementing a new ERP software application. I mean, this is a huge deal. Of course, I'm in charge of the project, and nobody in the company who has to help me reports to me. Mm. And, and now it's really how do we get everybody rowing in the same direction and working together so that we can get this thing put together? And, and I got a whole bunch of ideas or several ideas on how, how to make that happen. But I'll tell you the single biggest thing is to always come back to the goal, right? You have to, you have to set a goal, know what the goal is and keep coming back to it and, and put the goal way above everything else. When there's a conflict between two people or between me and somebody else, it isn't about, am I going to win or are you going to win? It's about the goal. What's it take to get to the goal? So when you, just to dig in that a little bit, when you talk about a goal, can you give me a structure type for the goal that you want? I mean, is it something big and, and inspiring? Is it something highly measurable? Is it, talk to me about how you like to, to structure your goals. I was lucky in that one of the things I'd done in the sales process and trying to sell the company that we needed this was I'd done a lot of work to figure out the dollar value of the problem. And the dollar value of the problem was in the ballpark of, let's say it was 100 to $150 million a year. And I created this saying that I would use constantly. It's only $2 million a week. How long would you like to wait? And, and so whenever I was doing the goal, I would always come back to, look, it's $2 million a week. We got to get this thing done. So it's inspiring. It's got a little fear factor. It's got some measurements. I like it. Thank you. So you said you've got lots of other ways that you might inspire the group to, to help you achieve this goal, right? Always go back to the goal and then use that to, to finish the disagreements. But what else? What else would you, how else would you help our people listening? Okay, let me, I'm going to pile on the, always go back to the goal for just a second because I had to, I had to change my mindset in a lot of ways. And I, I, grew up enjoying arguing and winning arguments and debating and it was fun. But the mindset that I had to change was, do I want to be effective or do I want to be right? And whenever I would find myself in one of these debates or arguments, I would have to ask myself that question. Do I want to be effective or do I want to be right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And, and so that was enough for me to be able to let go of the argument or the debate. It wasn't about me. It was about the goal and how do I make the goal happen? And, and by the way, when the goal happens, then guess what? I look awesome. So it is about me. Right? But, <laughs> but, but it was really about the goal. And the caring that we brought. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I cared because it helped. It's very Machiavellian. And yet, <laughs> and yet yes. it also is a very nice approach. Well, it works. Mm -hmm. It works. Some, some of us have to think through all these things. They just don't come naturally. But actually, Mark, that's one of the things I admire about you, right? Even in areas where the it's not a natural to, to do this, you you know it's it's something that you need to address and you, you think it through. We, and then that gives us a, all a process which we can hold on to whether or not it comes more naturally to us or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Okay, let's talk about pronouns. Pronouns. Okay. Pronouns. Going back to my grammar school. All right. Yes. Yes. When we're trying to lead without authority, we have to be really careful about the pronouns we choose. Mm. If if something goes well, then we always give the credit away. So it's about you, it's about them, it's about the team. Sometimes it could be about we, we did it. It is never I. Do you think that should be true even if you have authority? Oh, I'd love that. If you want to have, well, let's say it this way. That's true with leadership. Mm. Yes, well placed. If you think about it, when I say leadership without authority, that you could skip the whole without authority piece. This is just leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're a manager and you have authority, you can still manage or you can lead. It's the exact same thing. Leadership is the same whether you have authority or not. The question is, do you choose to manage or do you choose to lead? And, and when you don't have authority, you don't get to choose. <laughs> you have to. That's true. But if you want to be a good leader, these are good things to remember anyway. Yes, absolutely. So no I, occasional no I. When we. things go well. Right. When things go poorly, guess which pronoun we pull out? I. I, absolutely. Because when when we're willing to take the blame, if I'll say, look, that was my fault. I didn't catch it. I wasn't watching. I didn't communicate it. It was my fault. Then people will start to want to work with you. They know they're not going to get thrown under the bus. They trust you. So, so take the blame. It's okay. So uh, the we to you, that's interesting to me. So, you know, you said always you, occasionally we. How would you draw that? I'm not sure I have a good answer to that question. Certainly if I'm doing a one-on-one with somebody, it's a you. It isn't a we. Right. We're not the um, royal we. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> uh, I want to give them all the credit that's due. If I'm standing in a meeting and I'm talking about things that we've done, I would probably, if I'm talking as a big picture, I would use we. And then every time I could, I would point out individual people to say, and Joe did this. Mm. I want to give away as much credit as I possibly can. And I think the, the named attribution is always extra powerful. Even just using literally the name, not just pointing, being like, you know, Morgan did this or Sarah did that is a powerful piece. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we have clear goals that we always refer back to. We are careful with our pronouns to keep our grammar teachers happy. What else? <laughs> so, so another one that I love is uh, join a volunteer organization and take an officer's role. Because in volunteer organizations, you don't get to tell anybody at all what to do. No, they move so slow. They do. <laughs> yeah. But but in order to get anything at all done, you have to lead. Mm-hmm. And so you have to practice the things that we just talked about. Yep. And one of the things that I learned, um, I, as you know, I'm a big Toastmaster, love Toastmasters. It's a volunteer organization. I've been in many different officers at Toastmasters. And if you want to get anybody to do something, you have to convince them to do it. I like inspire. Inspire. There we go. There we go. But I always, uh, one of my mentors and Toastmasters, oh my gosh, I, I don't care what she asked me to do. I would just say yes. And I couldn't figure out why the heck I would always <laughs> say yes. <laughs> and one day I asked her and she gave me the magic formula. And I love this formula. Uh, The magic formula has three parts. 
would you please do something because, and here's the three parts, it would be good for you, you would be good at it, and it would be good for the club or the organization because. Now, you can't just say those words. You, you I kind of feel like you've done a- that with me, Mark. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a minute. Rebecca, no, would you I've never please? done that. To you, I think you have. <laughs> hmm, now I know. But it, it is a wonderful formula because it brings the goal in, right? We're tr- we're trying to get to this goal, and then we talk about the person. We stroke their ego. We say, "Hey, it would be really good for you, and you would be really good at it." I like it. So, so that is different than inspire. That's convince, which I don't think is a bad thing. But I think maybe. So I always think of um, having you know been the the on the board of some voluntary organizations inspire is always a big piece, but I think that maybe that then ties back to your original goal, right? So it's the goal and make and getting them inspired to achieve that, then convincing them how their role can be done in it because it's all about you and the pronouns. Hmm. Yes. And, and so we could tie all this back together because we started out with the goal in the beginning and that third of the three, it would be good for the organization because so it's, how does it help us achieve the goal? What's the goal? It would be good for you comes into play when we've done all of those one-on-one conversations and I understand what your personal goals are. I understand what your personal issues are. I can tie that directly back to how you can help yourself. All right. So talked a lot about a lot of different things about leading with authority today. So two things that our listeners can do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today uh, in order to improve their leadership with or without authority. What would you have them do? I would say the very first thing is get in the habit of listening while caring. And I don't mean that in a a funny way at all. I I mean in a really sincere way in that we want to go talk to a lot of people. We want to listen to them and truly understand and care about what their issues are, what their goals are, what their job is. Because the better we do that, the easier it is for us to, to help them. And the easier it is for us to help our organization through influencing them to help the organization. The second thing I would say is probably the single most impactful thing that happened to me was when I learned to say, do I want to be effective or do I want to be right? Mm. And what that really means is how do we elevate the goal above our own personal beliefs or thoughts or opinions or ego? That is a powerful mantra I think we can all remember. All right, Mark, as always, wonderful to talk with you. Hope you will join us again. It's probably going to be hard to keep you from joining me, but okay. (laughs) Keep me from joining you. (laughs) And then I also just want to point out it is December, which does mean that it's peanut brittle season. Um, I know you're trying, but should you guys be inspired to send some peanut brittle back to the home office, we would not turn it down. Mark makes excellent peanut brittle. It got put in the mail yesterday. Did it really? Yes. Yay. Excellent. All right. Now everyone's jealous. They're going to be like, oh, no. I don't get any peanut brittle. <laughs> we, could, we, could, we could do a contest to win peanut brittle. Perhaps something we should consider. All right. <laughs> thank you, Mark. Thanks, Rebecca. I had fun as always. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week for another great episode of Pragmatic Life.